All right, you found 1 Samuel 3, I know. I want to give a definition of what we mean by making room for the Holy Ghost, and it is to consciously choose to put the Holy Spirit in the highest place in our lives, both personally and collectively as a church on both levels. It's being led by the Spirit and obeying Him in all areas of our life. The Holy Spirit wants to go with you to the car dealer. He wants to go with you to the doctor's office. He wants to go with you to school. He wants to go with you to the grocery store. He wants to go, to you, go with you when you look at houses or whatever you do. He wants to be there. He wants to lead you. And if you and I will obey him, even in the little details, we will find that he will work things out just supernaturally. It's just amazing how he will have the right people in the right place at the right time. He'll have you in the right place at the right time. It's just, it's just really wonderful. And people that have never experienced that kind of a relationship with the Spirit, they've never had that kind of specific guidance, they've just missed a lot. They really have because he really does want to be involved in every aspect of your life. You know, he'll tell you when you need to quit drinking all that coffee you know, so much. He'll, he'll tell you when you need to do this or that or the other where your body's concerned. I mean, he's got all the answers. All the answers. I know you probably met some people that they thought they had all the answers, but, but they didn't. The Holy Spirit does. Amen. So this will mean that we allow him to manifest as well. And what that means is gifts of the Spirit, um, the flow of the anointing and the power of God. We, we as a church collectively and then also individually, we are willing to allow the Holy Spirit to manifest through his anointing and through his gifts. And it means that when it's necessary and needful that we will lay aside our plans and our preconceived ideas and yield to his. And we've said this now several times. I'll say it again tonight in the words of John the Baptist. It's me decreasing and him increasing. Praise the Lord. And so we've talked about several aspects of this. And tonight I'm going to talk to you a little bit about another aspect of it. And I don't think we'll finish tonight, so we'll have more to come. But I want to talk to you about developing spiritual sensitivity. I want to talk to you about becoming sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Now, we all probably have known people that we would consider to be sensitive. Uh, you can tell they're led by the Spirit. And, you know, when you see those people, if you're a hungry believer, if you really are looking for the things of God to manifest in your life, then usually you, you want to know, well, what do they do? Uh, what, what is the secret, if you will, to that? And so that's what I want to talk about tonight and probably some more next week. Um, is, is developing spiritual sensitivity. But we're going to start in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 3 to give us a little story and a basis of uh, a picture of how this works. Verse 1, chapter 3 of 1 Samuel. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And Eli, of course, was the high priest. And the word of the Lord was precious. Uh, it was rare, one translation says. In those days, there was no open vision. Now, if you read the whole book and the whole context, you'll know why there wasn't much uh, of a um, flow of prophetic utterances and so forth. The, the uh, priesthood was in a backslidden state, pretty much. It was, things were not going well. And so the word of the Lord, uh, a supernatural word from God, those were very rare. 
There was no open vision, it says. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. And there the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was and Samuel was laid down to sleep. Now Samuel was a boy. Most of you know the story about how Hannah had believed God for uh, a child. God gave her the son, Samuel, and she lent him back, gave him back to the Lord. And so after he was weaned, after he was old enough to not have to have his mom with him, uh, he went as a little boy into the temple, and she left him there uh, to serve in the house of God. And then he was a servant of God for the rest of his life, all of his life. So let me just say, when you bring your children to church, and I'm not advocating that you have to bring them here Monday through Friday, and, but we could use some extra help, you know, around from time to time. But uh, I'm not saying you have to do that, but it is so important that you bring your children to church. There are going to be many times when they don't want to come. They'll have other things to do. Just like sometimes we have things we would like to do, but you discipline yourself. You know, discipline is not our favorite word, is it? I don't know how many of you are fans of classical music, uh, but there was a, um, a world-renowned celloist by the name of Pablo Casal. Anybody heard of him besides Nick? <laughs> uh, Brother Virgil. He was interviewed when he was 93 years old. And they asked him why he still practiced three hours a day. And his answer, <laughs> I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, he said, I'm beginning to see some improvement. <laughs> <laughs> At age 93, uh, that's the picture of discipline. Now, you may not need to practice an instrument three hours a day, but we do need to learn to practice the presence of God. We need to discipline ourselves to spiritual things. Your flesh is always going to want to be lazy. Your flesh is always going to want to eat too much, sleep too much, and not do much. But things that's probably not so good for it. But your spirit is alive unto God. If you're born again, your spirit is hungry for God. Your spirit needs the presence of God. The spirit of a man feeds on spiritual reality, spiritual knowledge, spiritual power is a part of what we do and who we are spiritually. And so um, it's very important to understand uh, the need to be disciplined in the things of God. And Samuel, as a boy, learned that lesson and learned it well. And so it says in verse 3, I'll reread the verse, And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep, that the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here am I. And he ran unto Eli and said, Here am I, for thou callest me. And he said, I called not. Lie down again. You know how old folks are when kids disturb their sleep. You know, Go to bed, boy. You know, he said, Go, you know, lie down again. And he went and lay down. He went and lay down. Now, I want to point something out here because we're going to see this happen again and again. But there is a tendency in 
in humans. I don't have the, all the answers for it, so please don't think I'm going to give you all the answers about it. But I just know that many times listening to God, it's easy for humans to get confused about what voice we're hearing. I don't have to ask you to lift your hand, but I know that probably most every hand, if not all, would go up here tonight if I, if I asked you the question, have you ever thought you were hearing from God, but you didn't know if it was God or you? Well, I like to answer the question this way. Yes. Because the Holy Spirit comes th through the avenue of your own conscience. And the voice of your spirit, which is your conscience, becomes the voice of God. And so many times when you hear from God, it will sound like a familiar voice. It's just, you know, I don't have all the answers for that. But I know that many people could testify how true that that is. Well, that's what was happening to Samuel because he, he'd never had this experience before. So he just thought that... Uh, Eli, who was his guardian and his mentor, a, a care, caretaker, uh, had called. So he went and lay down. Verse 6, and the Lord called yet again, Samuel. Isn't it amazing? God knows your name. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And he answered, I called not my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. See, that was the, that was the problem, you might say. He, he had not developed the relationship with God on his own that was going to be necessary for him to be able to fully hear, discern, understand what God was saying to him. This is a process that every believer has to go through if you're going to be led by the Lord. You have to learn how to hear from God. You have to learn when it's God talking or when it's the devil talking or when it's your own mind talking or your flesh talking or whether it's just somebody else, whoever they may be, talking. But it starts with knowing the Lord. And, of course, we all know him if we're born again. And according to the 8th chapter of Romans, verses 14 through 16, God uh, gives us a birthright to be led by the Spirit, and then our own, uh, uh, the Spirit of God will bear witness with our own spirit. And so that's something we can all expect. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be uh, saved X number of years, and then you've gained that place. It's not a merit badge, you know, system or something. It's... Um, it's just a, a birthright for every child of God. Well, Samuel is learning. He's developing his relationship with God. And so verse 8 says, And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived. He's finally catching on. And if you know the story, Eli was not really where he needed to be with the Lord. But he had had enough experience in spiritual things till he perceived that the Lord had called the child. So evidently the Spirit of the Lord dealt with him at that moment to understand what's going on. Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he call thee, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went down, 
I mean, went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. And the Lord said to Samuel, and then he begins to tell him what's going to come. Now, I, uh, I, also, I want to look at the 19th verse. Just skip down, and you can read the verses in between if you'd like another time. But verse 19 says, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. He had a perfect track record for, for speaking the word of God. When Samuel said, thus saith the Lord, it was thus saith the Lord. You could take it to the bank. It wasn't a hit or miss. It was absolutely uh, 100% uh, accurate from the Lord. So you can see uh, that spiritual sensitivity can be, number one, learned. And number two, it can be developed. And so as we make room for the Holy Spirit, whether it's in the context of our local church body, our meetings when we come together, or whether it's you and me in our own personal life day by day, we can become more and more developed in this aspect of learning to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And we can actually get to the place where that we're not caught by surprise, by major events that would affect our lives directly. We can get to the place where we will know, we can always know the will of God for any major decision. I mean, I don't think that it's necessary to pray whether tomorrow you have meatloaf or fried chicken. In my book, both of them are good. I don't think you have to pray over whether you buy a Ford or a Chevrolet. Well, maybe if you're going to buy a Chevrolet. I don't know. I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. Only kidding. I don't, I don't think that that's what we... I mean, you can pray about what car to get. You know, he knows where the deals are. But the point is, there are a lot of things that, that God doesn't mind if you just make your decision based on your personal preferences. But there are a lot of things in life that we really do need to know what the will of God is. You don't want to marry the wrong person. You don't want to pursue the wrong career. You don't want to take the wrong job. You don't want to go to the wrong school. You don't want to be in the wrong church. You don't want to connect with people and start forging a relationship with people uh, that if, if they're not going to really, as we say, pan out, if, if, if the relationship's going to hurt you, if it's going to end in a bad way, the Lord knows all of that. And he's willing to tell us if we learn to be sensitive. Now, this is not going to happen automatically. It's not going to happen automatically. You're not going to just wake up in the morning and all of a sudden you are way, 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 way above the level you were at yesterday spiritually. No, it's going to be a gradual learning experience that you have to pursue. One of the things about the Holy Spirit that you must know is that he's a perfect gentleman in the sense that he will not force himself into your life. If you don't have time for him, uh, he will step aside. If you don't reverence him, then you will not have his best. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30 gives us a very powerful command. It's not a suggestion. 
Ephesians 4.30 says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. The Amplified Classic says, Do not offend or vex or sadden him. It's amazing to think that a human could actually have that kind of an effect on God, but it's absolutely true. The Message Bible says, Don't grieve God. Don't break his heart. His Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for himself. Don't take such a gift for granted. God's Word translation says, Don't give God's Holy Spirit any reason to be upset with you. He has put His seal on you. So what would I or could I do or how would I do something that would grieve the Holy Spirit? And you know, you can just think about that and, and realize there's probably a number of ways. Just think about yourself. What is offensive to you? What vexes you or aggravates you, kindles a, uh, some anger in you? What uh, makes you sad? Well, those kinds of things we do not want to do where the Holy Spirit is concerned. I'm going to say something that may sound a little tough, but it's true, and, and uh, we need to remember this as a church. You can't have a great move of God in, a, in an irreverent atmosphere. You can't have a great flow of the Spirit of God where people are more concerned about what time we get out than they are God's presence. Uh, you can't be nonchalant when you come to church either. You've got to, you've got to uh, know that... Uh, you can place a demand on the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't mean that we're ordering him around, but what I mean by placing a demand is exactly what we do here when we turn on the lights. And I'm believing God by Sunday, turn on the air conditioner. Um, it's not that we're, we're making some legal demand on, on dominion power. It's that the power is here, we tap into it or we place a demand on what's available to us. That's what we do where the anointing is concerned. That's what we do where the Holy Spirit is concerned. And so when people come to church and they maybe don't really want to be there, uh, they're, they're, un they're not really interested in what's going on, and I'll grant you, I've been in my share of boring services, and I've, been in my sh I've heard my share of, of unremarkable sermons. I've delivered my share of unremarkable sermons. Uh, but, but I can tell you that, that if we all learn to put a demand on the Holy Spirit, not only will the preacher preach better, but the entire service will be better. Because we come with expectation. And that's why I say, and I quote from Dr. Ed Cole from many years ago, I heard him say, eloquence is not in the pulpit, it's in the pew. So if you want me to do better, then... Listen better. Amen. Put a demand on that anointing. It'll go past me. And I guarantee you, if it's, if it's something that's a blessing to you, it's, it's not me. I'm just a pass-through channel. You know, I don't get really excited about a hose. I want some water. So you don't get excited so much about the preacher. You want, you want a word from the Lord. We don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. And then 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19 says, Quench not the Spirit. 
Quench not the Spirit. Um, that means do not quench, suppress, or subdue the Holy Spirit. That's what the Amplified says. Do not quench, suppress, or subdue the Holy Spirit. So any church service where people try to, as we say, put the brakes on, that's how you quench the Spirit. When you try to do church your way, and there's no room for the Lord to do what He wants to do, you're going to quench the Spirit. And the thing that's amazing is, if you grieve the Holy Spirit, He will be grieved and He will move to the side. If you quench the Holy Spirit, He will move to the side. The Message Bible says, don't suppress the Spirit. God's Word translation says, don't put out the Spirit's fire. So I think probably <coughs> that, <coughs> excuse me, I think that last one, uh, quenching the Spirit, probably church leaders are more guilty of that than anybody else. Churches will never go beyond their, uh, the leadership in that church. They'll never grow beyond that point. They'll never move and flow in the Holy Ghost beyond that point. Um, one of the phenomenon, I've, well, that's not probably the proper word, but one of the things I've seen over the years is people that get excited about the things of God, they get excited about the Word, they get excited about the Holy Ghost, maybe they get filled with the Spirit, <clears throat> they speak in tongues, and then they go back to a dead church, a church where nobody there wants what they have. Nobody wants them to go beyond where they are. The pastor doesn't want to teach about it, doesn't maybe believe in it. And it's, it's always been amazing to me how, many, how people go to those places and they're thinking somehow they're going to change that whole thing. Do you know that, that if you are not the leader, that to try to take a church, a ministry in a different direction than the leadership, that that is technically rebellion. You're just a whole lot better off to go find somewhere where people have like precious faith and want to do the things of the Spirit, and, and then you can pray for those other folks. Maybe their eyes will get open. Maybe you get to go back someday and shout with them. But I can tell you that uh, it's important <clears throat> that leaders don't quench the Spirit. I would never want to go to a church where leaders quench the Spirit. I've, I've had testimonies of people. There have been people come to this church, and one of the reasons they came is because they left churches where there was no room for the Holy Spirit to move. And even if, even if the Holy Spirit tried to get out, if he tried to break out a little bit, they put the lid on it. They didn't want it. They didn't allow it. And so they had to go, which was, would have been the right thing to do. And so we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. We don't want to quench the Holy Spirit. We want to develop sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, be hungry for Him. So what do we mean by being spiritually sensitive? Well, sensitivity is being able to sense or to register objects, information, movement, and activity even on a small scale. Think about the bottom of your foot versus your eyeball. Which is more sensitive? Your eye. You know, depending on <clears throat> how, well, it depends on how cheap your shoes are is one thing. 
Number two, how much time you spend on your feet. Number three, how well you take care of your feet. There are people whose feet are so tough that they really can't hardly feel anything. And it's not necessarily neuropathy or a, a physical ailment, but it's just that there, there's so many calluses. You might know what I'm talking about. I'm not saying it's wrong to, for that to be, but that, that is true. Well, there's no way that the bottom of, of probably any of our feet are as sensitive as our eyes. So what we want to think about is causing our spirit nature to become ultra-sensitive. The opposite of being calloused. And how does a spirit become calloused? When you constantly override your conscience. You constantly quench the spirit. You, consciously, you constantly grieve the spirit. After a while, you don't even think about what you're doing. And after a while, you don't even realize you're doing it. And then in those cases, and pastoral experience tells me this is true, and it's sad but true, people then face situations where they need to hear from God, they need a move of God, they need a miracle even sometimes, and they just can't make their connection. Now, I don't mean that they can't make it in the sense that it's totally and utterly impossible. I don't mean that it isn't God's will, but what I mean is they're so callous spiritually, so, un, so insensitive spiritually, that they don't really know the move of God where it is. Um... You know, you, some of you have probably talked to people and you wanted to get material into their hands. You wanted to get books in their hands. You wanted to get scripture in their hands. You wanted to pray for them. You wanted to get them into a, a Holy Ghost service. And, and, and they just didn't have any response to that at all. You know, they just, they just you could tell that they, they weren't interested. Maybe they, out of courtesy, they took the book, they took the CD or whatever, you know. Uh, but, but they're just not interested. Somebody else is going to pray, or somebody already prayed, or whatever. They have their own way that they're going to do this. And sadly, many of those people die prematurely. Many of those people never receive from God. And so sensitivity to, to the Spirit of God can make the difference sometimes between life and death. It can make the difference between blessing and cursing in our lives. The more sensitive to God we are, the more we will hear from God, the more we will see things that he wants to show us, and the more we will know his will and his plans for us. And also being sensitive to the Holy Spirit not only helps us to know um, what God is saying to us, but it also makes us sensitive when the devil shows up. It makes us sensitive to things that are not right. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes you have been around people and you didn't know the details. You really didn't know anything that you could just pinpoint uh, hard evidence for, but you just knew something's not right. And then maybe later on at some point you realized, as we say, it came out. You knew what was going, you found out what was going on. Well, you knew that before you knew it. You knew something was wrong before you knew all the facts. That's the way the Holy Ghost will, will lead and guide 
a, a child of God that's sensitive to him. He will help you avoid bad situations. He'll help you avoid people that will be no help to you, but actually be detrimental to you. It'll cause you to be sensitive as to when things are not right. So the devil will get by with less in our lives. And also we won't be fooled by counterfeits. Now one of the uh, one of the things that happens in the full gospel church world is there are counterfeits from time to time. There are false teachers from time to time, false prophets from time to time. There are people who for various motivations and reasons, they have agendas that are just not scriptural, that are just not quite right. And many times they sound in the beginning and on the surface, they seem so spiritual. And you know, because we are people of the spirit, we are spirit-filled people, we hunger and thirst after the things of God. If we're not careful, we can get our mind, our mind can get lured by this thing and we can think, boy, that's really, that sounds exciting, that sounds spiritual, that sounds good, maybe I better look into it more. Be sure to always check the inside. Don't just go by what you see on TV or on social media. Don't just go by, by what you see even uh, produced and published by what we might say more well-known ministries even. We have to be very careful. We've, we've got a problem in the, in the church world today with uh, people who have just gone to seed about uh, prophecy. I believe in prophecy and I believe in prophesying. I prophesy myself and I know that that's something that's sacred and it's something that's good. But uh, when I read my Bible and we read about like a man like Samuel, none of his words fell to the ground. So, uh, you know, when somebody prophesies something and stick dates and times on things and it doesn't happen, they need to at least acknowledge that they missed it. They may not be a false prophet per se. They may not really have a bad motivation, but they missed it. And, uh, you know, whether they admit it or not, we all know it. So, so it makes it worse when, when it's not admitted. I look to the word first. Prophecies are confirmations. And prophecies are a blessing. They speak, the simple gift of prophecy speaks to men to edification, exhortation, and comfort. And then foretelling that goes over into the ministry of the prophet and has to do with things of the future or even things of the past through a word of knowledge. Those things are powerful and wonderful. But I don't find in my Bible where these great prophets of God had a word every week just in time for the TV show. We have to be very careful, church. Very careful. Uh, we, we want to be spiritually sensitive. When, when somebody comes along, even, uh, i go to a different subject now, but they come along with a doctrine that just does not line up with the Bible. You can't just say, well, I really like them, I really enjoy their company, or I enjoy their meetings, uh, you know, I think they're a good person, and so I'm just going to kind of let that go. I'm going to kind of overlook that because I've, I'm a, I want to stay caught up in the hype. You can't do that. 
You can't do that. You've got to stay with the Word. We don't judge people's salvation. We don't try to um, uh, hurt anybody. But I know as a pastor, and I think particularly pastors more than any other of the other ministry gifts, are responsible to teach truth and when necessary point out error. We've had error in the last uh, 10 years or so uh, with, uh, with teaching about grace. Amen? There has been error for years in certain areas about money and giving. Uh, there's, there has been er, uh, error uh, in the past in the whole aspect of uh, demons and devils. There's been error in the past about spiritual authority and how we relate to people who are called to ministry and so forth. Uh, these errors get recycled and reshuffled from generation to generation. All the stuff that you hear today that's far out and weird, and you know because you're a Bible student that it's wrong, it may not be that all of the, that what people say is wrong, and that's part of the deal too, because a lot of times good people saying some good things, then they get off. It's hard to find consistency. It's very difficult to find consistency in the body of Christ year after year after year after year. Some of you probably have gotten tired at times of me, sometimes the quotes that I give of men like uh, Kenneth Hagin or Lester Sumrall or people like that or the old evangelist Smith Wigglesworth. But one of the reasons we are very comfortable to quote these men is because their lives backed up what they said. They were not uh, scandalous people. And long after they've gone to be with the Lord, nobody dug up anything that's this deep, dark secret that, as we say, finally came out. No, they were the real deal. And they were not always Mr. Excitement. Not every meeting was camp meeting. A church is not going to have camp meeting every Sunday. Not every service is going to be the same. But if we're going to learn how to interact with and move and flow with the Holy Spirit day by day, not just in church but outside of church, then it's imperative that we stay focused on right doctrine. Now you might be asking somebody, maybe it's out the question, well, what of those things you mentioned, what, what is error about this or that or the other message? Well, we may get into some more of that another time, um, but, you know, you've got to be discerning. You see, because I believe in grace. I know I'm not saved by works. I know I'm not going to get to heaven because of good works. But I know grace also isn't a license for me to live any way I want to live and think I'm still going to walk in the blessings of God. I believe in giving and sowing and prosperity. And as a matter of fact, we believe it to the point that some people just won't have anything to do with this because they think we're gone too far. But it keeps working so well. And we keep giving more and more as a church. We keep sowing more and more and keep having more and more. Uh, we'd be foolish to stop. But at the same time, it's error for me to begin to try to manipulate you. Or for me to try to prophesy money out of your pocket into mine. And to come around with subtle hints and various ways to try to to manipulate people. You know, manipulation is witchcraft. In its most basic sense, witchcraft is not 
an old lady with a black hat and a big wart on her nose, snaggletooth and wearing a black dress, riding on a broom. That, that's not witchcraft. Uh, there are people who give themselves over to spirits. There are spirit mediums. There are people who are communicating with and bringing messages from demons. There, that does happen. But witchcraft in its most simple form is, is uh, manipulation. There are mothers that try to manipulate their families. There are pastors sometimes that try to manipulate congregations. By using mental games that they play with people. Guilt trips and, um, you know, poor old me, feel sorry for me. You know, you need to help me all the time. Be very careful of that. We want to help the poor. We want to help the needy. And we do. But if I'm going to sow a substantial seed, I want to sow it in good ground where I get a harvest. See, there's balance in these things. The giving message has balance. Amen. So uh, we don't want to let the devil bring counterfeits in and we wouldn't know the difference. I think about those dear people that got all carried away about 88 reasons why Jesus was coming back in 1988. Now, some of you are too young to remember that, but there were people actually got carried away with that. Some of you remember the Y2K thing and prominent ministers that spoke out about all the gloom and doom of Y2K. And we all sat up New Year's Eve and we crossed over into 2K and everything kept working. But there were people who never did say, I missed it. It's, you know, that's what I'm talking about here. Be very careful. Be very appreciative when you find truth. Now, Psalm 42, 7, we're getting ready to close. I know you're warm. You want to go home and have some iced tea or something. Um, or, you know, you might just want to go out in the hall and stand around. It's cooler out there. But Psalm 42, verse 7, tells us that deep calls unto deep. What does that mean? That means what's in you responds to that which is in God. That which is in us responds to that which is in God. We were created for relationship. We were created for communion with the Creator. And so, of course, this reinforces to us the fact that God doesn't lead from the outside, but from within. Perhaps many of you grew up in churches where you were taught that God leads in various ways. You know, you, you remember, some of you remember this drill. You heard it so many times. Well, God answers. Sometimes he says yes. Sometimes he says no. And sometimes he says, wait a while. I'm still waiting. It's been quite a while on somebody to tell me where that is in the Bible. And then you heard, you've heard this too, you know, that um, God leads in various ways and, you know, sometimes he leads by circumstances. And so, you know, when you get in a situation where everything looks like, and then you fill in that blank, however you want to fill it in, when everything looks like, you should do this. Everything looks like this is the way it has to be. Everything looks like this is the end. Everything looks like it's never going to work. There are people who think that's God saying, well, this door's closed. It's not going to happen. 
you know. And if it's a very serious issue, well, you know, to get ready, you're going to die. Or you're going to always be broke, or you're never going to find a good husband, never find a good wife, you know, that kind of thing. Well, that's not biblical. God doesn't use natural circumstances in a world where Satan is called the God of this world. He doesn't use those circumstances to lead you because those things can be manipulated by the devil. And I'm, I, I never cease to be amazed at people who, who say, well, you know, I told the Lord, if, you know, if the third car's a red one, I'll know it's him. Well, you know, the devil do his best to make the third car a red one. And make a fool out of you. Maybe cause you to lose all your money. Maybe cause you to be connected with somebody that, you know, you may get what you want, but you might not want what you get. You know, that kind of thing. We, we can't be led by that. I know for Glenna and me, if, if we'd been led by circumstances, we would have never come to Freedom Ward Church. And that's not a, 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 a dig against... Travis and Cherie, Brother Derwood, some of you were here before I was here. And my, my hat's off to you, my hair's off to you. I mean, I'm just, I, I love you. But you know, when we came, uh, it, it didn't look promising at the moment. And I'm sure they would, they would tell you the same thing. It, it, there was a need for something to happen. And so the question was, were we the people that God would use? And it would have been easy to say, no, I think that's somebody else's job. And you've heard me tell over and over again, and you, you, you're tired of hearing it, but I'm not tired of telling it because it's for the glory of God. You remember that first year at the end of November that year, we had 17 cents in the bank. That's all the church had uh, cash was 17 cents. This year, we will give away over $200,000 given, sown into various missions and ministries. I'll tell you, so... If we would have went by what we saw 32 years ago, we would have just turned around, went back where we came from, and maybe never have ever come to this part of the country again the rest of our lives. But you see, we knew. We had learned from our elders, from our mentors. We had, we had listened. We've not been great students about everything, lots of things we missed, but we got that part. You're not led by circumstances. You're led by the Word of God and by the witness of the Spirit within. And so, praise God, it's been a good time. And it's getting better. The best is yet to come. Hallelujah. And so, deep, what's in you responds and calls out to that which is in God. And this relationship will grow as we will develop it. Amen. So, we want to live so that the things of God and God Himself stimulates our spirit. And that's where we're going to have to close. We got, you know, I had four pages of notes and I didn't finish page one. So we've got plenty to go, praise the Lord. But I believe God that he wants to make us a sensitive church collectively and individually as members and parts of the body of Christ here. Father, we're thankful. We are grateful. So wonderful to serve you. Lord, and we're so thankful for the witness of the Spirit within. We really do want to make room for the Holy Ghost. Lord, we are open to your gifts, your ministry gifts, the spiritual gifts that you list in your word, the nine spiritual gifts, gifts of power, gifts of revelation, gifts of utterance, all the manifestations of the Spirit that you want to do. 
Lord, we are willing to take the criticism. We're willing to be uh, ostracized, if that's what some do to us. Because you are more important than the approval of men. And your blessing is more valuable than the approval of men. And Father, we thank you that you're bringing alongside in this ministry, in this church, men and women and their families, young men, young women, children, that will grow up hungry for God and they'll, they will help accomplish the vision and the purpose, not only of this church, Lord, but those that you will send from this place. Because, Father, we believe that our future involves and includes the sending forth of others from this place to take this kind of message, this kind of anointing to other places that desperately need it. That, Lord, we can't go everywhere. We can't be everywhere. <coughs> but we can send to all the places that you open up an opportunity. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.